Dara! Bedtime! Mom, did you know a giant meteor is going to hit Earth? Like the one that wiped out the dinosaurs really soon. It's going to end the world. How soon? Brush your teeth. I don't know. Next week? Anyway, brushing my teeth won't matter if the world ends. Brush them as if the world isn't going to end. Who told you the world was ending? Brian's uncle friends saw it on the internet. So, maybe it isn't true? Spit? But it has to be true if it's on the internet. But Dara, anyone can write anything on the internet. You don't think it's true? I haven't heard anything about it on the news, and I'm pretty sure they would have mentioned the world ending. Oh, you can't trust the news on the telly. They're fake news. Well, they put their names and faces on the news, so you know who to complain to if they're lying. We can check their facts. So, where does the news get the facts? From scientists, and from satellites, and from asking questions to our leaders. But... This reminds me of today's bedtime story. Get in your pyjamas and I'll tell you about it. This is the story about Anansi, the West African spider god of stories, right? We made a web of stories that connected Arlen to all the corners of the world, from India and Japan to Alaska and the Amazon. And now we're finally ready to hear about the spider god of stories in the center of it all, right? That's it, exactly. And the question people were asking back then in ancient Ireland and ancient West Africa was the same question we're asking today with the internet. How do you know if the stories are real? So, is there an answer? In Ireland, our bards had to study in special schools for at least six to seven years just to be trusted to tell the histories. West Africa had their own bards called griots who were tutored by an older griot for many years. So, their memories were like the books before people could write? But the question remained, how could you know that the stories are true? Passed down from one person to another to another person over all those generations. Even one slip of the memory could mess up your whole history. You had to be sure. But how could they know? It was said that the wise men of Ireland got their shenkus their history and tales, straight from Fintan Macbokra, the last survivor of Noah's flood. So, he had seen it all happening, hadn't he? What about West Africa? Well, the people of Ghana believed they got their stories straight from Anansi, the trickster spider god, who got all the stories of the world from the sky god Nyame. So, how could you doubt the stories if they came from Nyame himself? So, how did Anansi get all the stories? That's the story we'll be hearing tonight. The story that starts all others. The origin story of Anansi's web. Are you lying comfortably? Yep. Then picture the west coast of Africa, where thick tropical forests of mahogany, ebony and eroko stretch up from the coast towards the dry savannah grasslands and the great Sahara beyond. See the villages, towns and farms where yam and cassava flourish in the red earth of forest clearings, where stories are called Anansisen, spider tales, after the little trickster Anansi, the spider who first taught men and women how to weave tales. And now hear the voice of Ababio, our Ghanaian storyteller. 
Agu, clean Andara. Pleased to meet you. How are you, Babio? May I share with you the story of Anansi, who won all the stories of the world through his tricks and cunning? Please do. We've been waiting and waiting for this story for ages. We had to connect all the corners of the world in a giant web before Mom would let me hear this one. You are very welcome, Ababio. Anansi had the spark of heaven in his heart, for he was born of the great sky god Nyame and the bountiful beauty of the goddess of earth, Asaseya. But all his tricks and his troublemaking saw him hauled to the ground to smash into spider shape. So he wove his webs and waited for the day when his own calling would become clear. He tried once to store all the wisdom of the world in a calabash, but he slipped and smashed the calabash before he learned a thing. What's a calabash? Somewhere between a bottle and a pot made from the dried shell of a calabash fruit. Anyway, Anansi felt in his heart that he was destined to be a great god. Like his mother and father, the earth and sky, or his brothers, the gods of the hunts and war. But Anansi seemed to have no special power. He weaved webs and thought up tricks, but they all seemed to break apart at the last moment. In those long-ago days, the men and women of the world had no imagination. They could only tell the truth and speak of the things they saw right in front of them. When children played with sticks, they could not imagine that the sticks were anything but sticks. Anansi, alone in all the world, could dream and plot, make up stories and play tricks. But he did not yet understand that this was a great power and he wanted something better. With no imagination, the people were suffering. It was very boring staring at each other in the evenings with nothing to say. But all the magical stories of the world were kept high in the sky in a carved wooden box that the great sky god Niame would never let out of his sight. All alone, the sky god listened to the greatest stories of the world, and thunder rolled across the land as he chuckled, and rain swept down as he cried. In Ireland, we say that the tales come from Fintan Macbuchra, the oldest man in Ireland, first to set foot on this island, who lived for over 5,000 years. Fintan was the only Irish survivor of Noah's flood, for he was magically transformed into a salmon that can live in any water, fresh or salty, to make sure that he would survive and the traditions and lore, the Shenkus of the West, would not be lost. And Nancy the spider kept the traditions of Africa, so the salmon is like our spider. The salmon of knowledge. It does come up a lot. The great flood shocked poor Finton so much that he lost the power of speaking first centuries. For thousands of years he only watched, witnessing all the wars and invasions of Ireland. He could transform himself 
not only into a salmon, but into an eagle and hawk too. As a salmon, he could swim every stream and cross every sea to see the secrets that lie at the bottom of lakes and harbours. Lost ships, sunken treasures and flooded cities. As an eagle, Finton could fly high, high into the sky and see all over the country with his sharp eyes. Finton was the witness to Ireland's history. Then, do you know what happened? Is Finton MacBoker still alive? If I eat sand for my tea, might it be Finton? Now you're skipping ahead. Then, at the birth of Con of the Hundred Battles... They called a baby Khan of the Hundred Battles? Well, no. They called him Khan. He had to win a hundred battles before anyone called him Khan of the Hundred Battles. Anyhow, he became the first legendary High King of all Ireland since the Age of Heroes, the Leofall. The stone at Tara that roars when a righteous king stands on it roared for the first time since the days of Cú Cullen when Khan stood on it. Like the sword and the stone and King Arthur, Con was a big deal, is what I'm saying. At his birth, there came wondrous gifts. And one of those gifts was that Fintan MacBochra finally learned to speak. A ray of sun shone down and hit Fintan in the mouth, went right through his tongue and out the back of his head. And in that moment, his seven gifts of speech were unleashed and all the true history of Ireland, her prophecy, her tradition and her laws were revealed through him. I tell you, you couldn't shut him up. Kwaku and Nancy too had gifts that were hidden even from himself. For a while he sat in the corner of the house, dreaming and plotting for some way to get a great gift. He did not understand that his dreaming itself was wonderful. He dreamed of beautiful patterns for his webs and the people who did not yet know how to dream, who spoke of nothing but what they could see in front of them, looked at the beautiful patterns of the webs and it taught them how to weave patterns into their own boring cloth until they made the famous Kente cloth of Ghana with its thousands of designs. And they painted designs on their pots and their houses too that Anansi had inspired. But all this time, Anansi was still waiting to find his special gift. Hardly noticing as the world around him grew more beautiful. He did not see how his webs were teaching the people around him to make beauty. I know, Anansi thought. I will win the stories of the world from my father, the great sky god Nyame. And I will give these people stories and in return, they will tell stories of the little spider Anansi and his adventures for all of time. Yet... How could the great sky god Nyame be tricked by the schemings of a spider? He stretched all over the earth, the sun his blazing right eye and the moon his left. Still, Anansi would try. He spun a thread up into the wind that carried him up and up towards the face of Nyame. 
Anansi hung in the misty clouds and the sun blazed down on him disapprovingly, as if reminding him of all the lies and tricks for which he was cast down to the world of men. Still, Anansi plucked up his courage and asked for the box of stories. The sky thundered with Niame's laughter. Have you not heard the bravest warriors and the strongest princes and the wisest elders in all of the world have tried to pay my price? And none of them could. How will you, little spider, do what they cannot? Very well. My price is this. First, you must bring to me, Onini, the great python who can swallow a goat. Second, you must bring me Osebo, the leopard with teeth as sharp as daggers and claws like knives. Next, you must bring the Mboro, the hornets whose stings burn like fire. Finally, you must capture Moesia, the invisible sprite of the forest. Do all of this and I will give you my stories. Well, that's tough for poor Nancy. He has to catch a python, a leopard, hornets and a bad-tempered fairy to get all the stories of the world. In Ireland, all you have to do is catch a salmon. You probably know the story... The Salmon of Knowledge. On Bradon Fassa in Irish. Legend has it that the first thing to come into creation was a hazel tree. And it had all the wisdom of the universe in it. And its branches stretched over a well that was called the Well of Wisdom. So, when its hazelnuts fell into the well and were eaten by a big speckled salmon, that salmon gained the wisdom of the universe and it was called the Salmon of Knowledge. Didn't Fintan get turned into a salmon so that he could survive Noah's flood and pass on all the knowledge of the universe? And you're saying some other salmon got all the knowledge of the universe from eating hazelnuts. What are the odds of two salmon swimming around Ireland with all the knowledge of the universe? What was the point of Fintan living for 5,000 years if some other random salmon was doing his job anyway? I do admit, Tara, it would be a bit weird if there were two salmons of knowledge swimming around Ireland at the same time. But you have to understand, these stories were told for hundreds of years. People got confused about the details. I mean... Batman has only been around for less than a hundred years and I don't know how many origin story movies you've made me sit through. First the Joker killed his parents, then a random thief, then suddenly Liam Neeson is involved somehow. It's very confusing. Superheroes have a lot of different timelines. Timelines? Is that what you call it? I call it sloppy writing. What was all that mess with Liam Neeson about anyway? So you're saying this salmon might or might not be Fintan, but on a different timeline? Right. But don't think too deeply about it, because he's going to get eaten. Eaten? But in a different version, a timeline. Fintan dies of extreme old age after doing his job and passing on his wisdom, and he doesn't get eaten at all. Fintan gets eaten? Well, see... It had been foretold that a man named Fionn would eat this fish and gain all its knowledge. Anyhow, 
There was a poet named Finnegus, who was proud of being the wisest man in Ireland, and he didn't want this Fionn to suddenly get wiser than him, did he? So, after seven long years of fishing the Royal River of the Boyne, he finally caught the fish and instructed his frumpy apprentice, Jevna, to cook it for him, warning Jevna not to have a taste of it. So, Jevna saw a big blister rising up on the fish as it cooked, and he instinctively burst the blister with his tongue, Ow. burning it painfully. Without thinking, he stuck his thumb in his mouth and sucked it to cool the burn. And that was it. All the knowledge of the world, the Shenkus, that maps the whole country, its laws and histories, all flowed into the boy. See, Finnegus didn't know that Jevna's mother called him Fair-Haired One, or Fionn in Irish. And today we call him Finn McCool, one of the mightiest heroes of Irish legend. Great Onini the Python was sharp of tooth, but her imagination was not equal to the spiders, for imagination had not come into the world yet. And Nancy crept up to the waterhole where the mother of pythons rested. He thought he saw the tip of the python's tail disappearing behind a boulder. Pretending not to see, he grumbled aloud. That stupid wife of mine! I tell her a thing is so, she will not believe me! Onini is far greater than this little log. She is the lord of the rocks and the great python who can swallow a goat, is she not? Yet my wife thinks her no better than a common snake. Who is a common snake? The great snake was outraged. She slithered out into the sun and stretched her thick brown and yellow coils out beside the log to prove that she was longer. But no matter how hard she stretched and stretched, she could not quite seem to make herself longer than the log. Nancy raced all around the log, tying her in place against it to help her stretch out to the straightest. When Onini was fully bound to the log, Nancy laughed and sent his strongest silk soaring up to Nyame to haul the great python up, wriggling and hissing and cursing the spider every inch of the way. The first price was paid. Well, that was smart. You mean the python was stupid? Even clever people can behave stupidly when their vanity is hurt. Maybe that's the lesson. Vanity is the trap. In the depths of the thickest bush, there is a path that no antelope dares to trot. For it is the private path of Osebo the leopard to his waterhole. The night after the python Onini's binding, as the leopard Osebo roamed the midnight forest in search of prey, Anansi sweated over digging a pit, right in the path of the leopard. By dawn, the job was done. The spider covered the pit with sticks and leaves and swung up into the branches to wait for Osebo. The leopard was not long coming, rustling the bushes as he came for his morning drink. There came a colossal crash, followed by a roar of rage and a snarling, spitting and scrabbling. 
Anansi swung down from his tree and crawled over to the edge of the pit to peer in. The glowing eyes of Osebo glared up at him. Get me out, idiot spider! Anansi bent a slender sampling to the ground, tying it down with a silk thread. He spun a long and sticky thread down into the pit. The leopard wound a sticky thread around and around his tail and waited. With a delicate snip, Anansi snapped the thread that held the sapling down. The sapling tree jerked up into the sky and with a great roar, the leopard Osebo was yanked out of the pit by his tail and sent bouncing high in the air. Anansi climbed up to his leopard cocoon, sent his strongest threads high up into the sky and hauled the leopard up to Nyame. So, the second price was paid. Well, that was just silly. What was the lesson there? Overconfidence is the trap too, just like vanity. But what mistakes will the hornets make? Have patience and I'll tell you. The next day, Anansi perched high on the hollow of a forest tree by the hole where the buzzing Moboro hornets had their nest. In one hand, he had a calabash of water and in the other, a wide green plantain leaf. He splashed water from the calabash all over himself and his leaf until they dripped as if it had been raining, then dumped all the water out of the calabash and straight down the hole of the Moboro nest. Immediately, the buzzing rose to a furious whine, and the hornets swarmed out of their soaking nest. And Nancy, what is the meaning of this? They buzzed. Ananzi clutched his dripping leaf over his dripping head. A sudden storm of rain, Moboro! Take shelter in my calabash! The Moboro saw no choice. Their old nest was full of water and their little grubs might drown. Buzzing angrily, they flew in through the open mouth of the calabash and began to nest inside. Anansi waited until the last hornet entered the pot, then, quick as he could, covered the mouth of the calabash with his broad plantain leaf and tied it tightly with silk. The buzzing in the pot rose furiously, but there was no escape. So, Anansi spun his silk up to the sky and hauled the angrily buzzing calabash of hornets up to Nyame. So the third price was paid. Okay, that was definitely stupid of the hornets. What lesson is there there? The trap was fake news. The traditional wisdom of Africa is warning you about fake news, like you and your meteor. Oh, mom, that's a bit of a stretch. No, think about it. A terrible crisis hit the Omoboro nest with a flood of rain that nobody was prepared for. They were all buzzing around, panicked, looking for someone to blame, not knowing what to think or who to believe. So when Anansi gave them an explanation, they straight away believed it. They didn't check to see if anyone else had seen the rainstorm or even if anyone except for Anansi was wet. They just followed the first spider who seemed confident of what he was talking about. And that is how the Omoboro were trapped. Well, we still haven't found out how the invisible fairy gets trapped. The truth is, 
Anansi did not know how to catch the Moesha. How do you catch an invisible fairy? And he was afraid of making the Moesha angry, for the least little thing could send them into a rage. But the more he sat and thought, the more it seemed to him as though this quick anger itself might be the trap. Anansi carved a wooden doll and smeared it with sticky gum from the gum tree. In the heat of the day, when the air shivered and the forest dozed, the spider brought his gummy doll to sit on a log by the sacred Iroko tree where the sprites came to dance. He set the rich and delicious anno food on a plate in front of the doll and spun a fine thread from the doll's back to his hiding place beneath a bush so that he had only to tug on the thread to make the doll bend and nod. As evening fell, soft whistlings floated through the trees all around and leaves crackled under invisible feet. The Moesha were coming. Suddenly, a soft voice spoke out of the air. Little gummy child, may I have a taste of your anna? And Nancy pulled on his thread and the gummy doll nodded. The dish of anna floated up into the air and emptied itself. When the dish was licked clean, it dropped back to the ground and the invisible fairy gave a tiny belch. It thanked the gummy doll, but the gummy doll said nothing. The invisible fairy squeaked with anger and commanded the doll to speak. A little drip of melting gum slid off the gummy doll's nose. So the Moesha smacked the doll and Anansi could see the mark of the fairy's invisible hand stuck to its cheek. Let me go! shrieked the Moesha, and it smacked the gummy doll with its other hand. Both hands were now stuck to the gum. In fury, the fairy kicked at the gummy doll, and both of its feet stuck tight. The gummy doll rocked backwards and forwards as the fairy struggled to get free. When it was safe and the Moesha was exhausted, Anansi crept out of his hiding place wound his silk around the doll and the Moesha together, sent a strong thread up to the skies and hauled the shrieking sprite up to Niami while the forest whistled and twittered around them. The trickster Anansi had paid his price, and a beautifully carved box of stories was carried on the winds into his hands. The people of the world had imagination to picture the sun in the darkest night, to look at a seed and imagine its flowers and fruits. Children with only sticks to play with can make heroes and monsters of them, for the mind is always free. But this web is spun, and the story is done. If it is sweet, take some with you and let it live on. Thank you, Ababio. We will. Goodbye, Kleena. Goodbye, Dara. Nante Yee. Well now, Dara. We've gone all around the world with my silly old stories. We learned how stories can teach you the dangers of life and its sweetness, help you navigate by the stars and learn your history. And when all else is lost, 
the stories still connect us across the widest ocean. You've learned how Anansi's imagination alone made him more powerful than the fiercest leopard, the biggest swarm of hornets, or the invisible fairy. So, are you finally ready to admit that the imagination is more powerful than your phone? I don't know if I ever promised that. Fine then. If your phone is so great, there's no need to tell any more stories. Mom, that's blackmail. Bargaining, darling. Bargaining. I had a really good story too, from the Inuit people of the High Arctic Circle in Canada. And it really is about a walrus. But I suppose you wouldn't be interested in that. Not when you have your video games. Fine. Tell me the walrus story. And Nancy's web is better than my phone. Is that what you want to hear? It takes a big man to admit that, Dara. Thank you. And so, Anansi's web is complete for now. But the stories go on and on all over the world. But now it's time to sleep. Night, night, Mom. Night, Dara. Sleep tight. Dream of the whole world. Anansi's Web was written by Bridget McCone and directed by Hugh Hick. It featured Nicole Rourke as Kalina and Alex Kelly as Dara. This episode's guest storyteller Ababio was played by Patrick Martins. Additional music was composed by Justin McCann and the series was produced by Heather McLeod. Anansi's Web is a Hugh Hick, Heather McLeod production for RTE, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.